White Famous is a new Showtime original comedy series about trying to make it in Hollywood, starring SNL vet Jay Farrow as Floyd Mooney, a comedian whose career is about to blow up, but he's not sure he's ready for all that. Can he make it without losing his soul? White Famous is executively produced by Academy Award winner Jamie Foxx and the creator of Californication, Tom Capinos. This show is based on Jamie Foxx's real-life experiences and also stars. Jacob Ming Trent and more! You can also watch the hilarious series premiere right now for free on YouTube. Download the Showtime app now to start your free trial. Catch new episodes Sundays at 10 p.m. only on Showtime. Hello, and welcome to Achievement Oriented, the Ringer's video game podcast, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. My name is Ben Lindbergh. I'm a writer for the Ringer.com. On the other line, it's Jason Concepcion. Jason, are you afraid? Good, because we're in the great game now. Wow. The great game is terrifying. There's so many great games every week. Wow. Every week, there are new great games. Wow, that just made me sad, Ben. I know. That was almost like a binge mode intro. It made me really depressed. (laughs) I know. I'm sorry. Game of Thrones will be back someday. Oh, You'll be pinching again. So we have had a busy week. I got married. You were there. I was there. You uh, on time. Two minutes late. Two minutes Listen, late. Listen, first video evidence ben revealed. Benjamin, but that's okay. Hey, you were there. Literally two minutes late, and it's like, <laughs> wow, this we're going. Wow. But <laughs> we, we didn't miss. We, we didn't miss I got anything promptly. It was yeah, very prompt. Very uh, it was a beautiful. Groom. It was a beautiful wedding. Uh, Thank you. And I was. I'm. Still warmed by the thought of it when I when I think back to it. Oh, well, that's nice. I I am too. And you were flying back and forth for that. I'm covering baseball playoffs. You're covering NBA debut. You're on camera twenty four seven doing NBA videos. You're doing live rewatchables podcasts. Yes, Shay and Bill and Chris. So we've been busy. So we haven't had time to play everything that we want to play. But this is it. We are in the thick of video game holiday release season right now. And we've got Middle Earth out. We've got Echo, a game I'll be talking about in just a moment. We've got South Park. And next week, of course, we have Mario Odyssey and like four other games that I want to play and Assassin's Creed Origins and more and more. And then there's going to be a new Call of Duty game. So what do you want out of a holiday season? Like, is there a is there are there boxes that a holiday season has to check for you, like a certain genre? I mean, when we get into like the holiday spirit, yep. you you want certain things to recur every year, certain traditions. When you get that kind of dead period in late December, early January, and you have some time for video games, what do you want to be playing at that point? Is there a, a certain type of game that you like to sink your teeth into at this well, point? I think of the his, year? Uh, looking back over the history of my life as a gamer, I've always looked forward mm. to that that really triple A shooter. Um, yeah, and I'm not sure. I kind of feel like you know the shooter uh, genre is just at a weird place right now. Um, mm. Everything's been done. There's aside from you know games like Super Hot. Um, there's not really been uh-huh. a new mechanic or a new innovation to spur the genre forward. Call of Duty, as you mentioned, is going back to World War II. That should be fine. Yep. In a sense, um, that's a really interesting move because it's kind of a tacit admission that, okay, all the perks and stuff, all the all the gadgets, has it's somehow diluted what the core of the game is, which is 
you know, this extremely fast mm. feedback, feedback loop of, you know, move, sh- aim, shoot, move, aim, shoot, move, aim, shoot. Um, yeah. And so you're really seeing like what is ex- what is essentially like a minimalist approach, trying to pare it back to a certain core uh, level. I'm going to get the game. Who knows if it's going to be something I've, I've played in the past. But that's that's usually been what I've looked for. What about you? Yeah, I think, I mean, at this point of the year, often we're talking about a new console launch and we're not doing that this year, at least in a way that I'm excited about. And so we don't have that, but that brings its own rewards in that when you're sort of in the middle of a console's life cycle, you get these very polished games and developers have figured out the hardware and they're taking advantage of it. So that's nice too. And I mean, I like the sequels, of course, as anyone does. I want to be back in these worlds with these characters again. But I also ideally want a big Nintendo release if we can get one. And we're blessed this year. We've already had Breath of the Wild. We're getting Mario next week. And then hopefully there is some piece of new IP that stands out and establishes a series of its own. And I don't know what it will be this year. I, I We already had Horizon Zero Dawn and we're about to get DLC for that in a couple yep. weeks, which I'm really looking forward to. Frozen Wilds, we'll, we'll talk about that, I'm sure. But it's hard to know in advance what that standout original game that no one saw coming is going to be. Because you can look months in advance and see the big sequels that you know are coming yeah. and trailers and, and anticipation is there. But often there is a game that no one really seems coming because we haven't played it before and it it holds its own with the the big heavyweight franchises. So I don't know what that'll turn out to be this year, but I'm looking forward to finding. Yeah, out. those are the thing is. I, I guess the interesting thing about that is those those games over the last few seasons have been the indie games. You know, Stardew yeah. Valley, mm-hmm. which we're going to talk about later, uh, yep. PUBG games that really came out of nowhere and just captured the imagination in a way that it feels like a AAA game hasn't in a while. You know, like AAA games you. And waiting, waiting, waiting for this thing to come out. Uh, maybe No Man's Sky is the last one that really had this—the promise of this game that was going to transform games in the way that you played them, in the way that you interact with them, provide this entire new experience. Um, mm-hmm. But the AAA stuff really hasn't done that of late. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the time of year, though, when I will take on a, a meteor experience than I might at a, at another time. When you have that right. kind of lull at the end of the year, that is the time to like start the RPG or the giant open world game or some kind of like you know Bethesda experience that you know is going to take forever, and you'll have a couple uninterrupted weeks to sort of sink yourself into it. So, looking forward to that. It's always impossible to keep up, but we will do our best to just sort yep. of dip our toes into the fire hose of video game content and bring the best of it to you. Speaking of which, just a few minutes, we're going to talk to comedian Nick Weiger about Stardew Valley, which was recently ported to Switch. And if you end up playing not many big holiday releases this year, it will probably be because you are just fused to your Switch playing Stardew Valley. I'm also going to interview the developer of Echo, a recently released game. And Fortunately, we weren't all able to sync up in that you are in L.A. on Pacific time and I'm in New York on Eastern time. And the guy I talked to, Martin Emborg, who is the 
game director and art director of Echo and a studio called Ultra Ultra. He's in Denmark in Copenhagen. So there's a a big spread of time zones there. So I talked to him solo, but I think it's a good conversation. And and for people who are not aware of Echo and Ultra Ultra, this is a, a game that came out just earlier this month. It's it's on PS4 and, and PC, I believe. And it's sort of a, a sci-fi stealth adventure. And Martin and most of Ultra Ultra is composed of former IO Interactive mm-hmm. veterans who have worked on the Hitman series. Martin actually worked on the Hitman game from last year that we did an episode on. And they sort of splintered off from IO. They started their own studio. And Echo is the first result of that. And it is a stealthy sci-fi game where you land on a planet and you're exploring and you're trying to revive your companion. And so it has a lot of creepiness and atmosphere to it, but not too much for me to play it with my noted cowardice. <laughs> and the the hook, the core mechanic is that there's a, an adaptive AI system so that the game will right. observe how that, you that's play. That's fascinating. It is, it is. And and mirror how you play and and your tactics will be regurgitated by the game at these unpredictable times. And so it ends up being this sort of chess match where you don't want to show your hand because you know if you do something, right. the AI could learn it and then use it against you. So you end up kind of thinking against the game and thinking about yourself. It's really fascinating how they develop that. So I'll talk to Martin about that later in the episode. But let's talk some Stardew. Let's get to Nick. Now we're joined by Nick Weiger, a comedian and writer whose work has appeared on Comedy Bang Bang. He's a writer from At Midnight. Uh, He co-hosts the Doughboys podcast, a fantastic podcast about chain restaurants with Mike Mitchell. Nick, thank you for joining us to talk about Stardew Valley, a game which I love a lot and I have been addicted to and almost ruined my life. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, (laughs) I've been through a similar, similar set of circumstances. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Very excited to talk about this game. Um. So Stardew Valley, for those who don't know, is a farming simulation game similar to Harvest Moon. That was one of the inspirations for the game, created by one Eric Barone. One person created this game over the course of several years while supported by his girlfriend. That's another story, part of the story. Uh, And to call it a farming simulation is really to undersell the incredible amount of content in this game. There, I mean, there's there's Animal Crossing type uh, events that go on. You can you can there's a social aspect of the game where you can meet the kind of townspeople. There is this uh, like dungeon crawling aspect of the game where you can just explore a mine infinitely, basically, and and get uh, you know items, get so- find swords, magical swords, and different like boots and stuff. And then there's the, the farming aspect of it. Um, it's really a magical game. Um, how did you first uh, encounter this game? Like? Well, I was looking for, I'd gotten a, a gaming rig for the first time. I was just like, mm-hmm. all right, I'll, I'm going to, first time in a while. I hadn't, I hadn't really played, P, done any PC gaming since college. And so I was like, I got a gaming rig and I just sort of hopped on Steam and I'd heard about Stardew Valley and was just like, I think at the time it might've been the only platform it was available on. I could yeah. have the time frame slightly, slightly wrong, but, uh, 
So I had this brand new shiny gaming rig. I just splurged and got like an Alienware because it was like a thing I'd always dreamed about <laughs> getting. It was like a, a laptop or like the desktop? The desktop. Is nice. like, it's a ridiculous, ridiculous purchase. The, uh, one of the most Neon wasteful things I've done in my adult life. Glowing computer. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but so I was like, so immediately what I end up doing with this high powered rig is I'm playing like the most retro low grade game possible because I get <laughs> right. Stardew Valley it was like $9.99 on a Steam sale and then I'm playing this thing that has like graphics that are kind of like TurboGrafx 16 you know um, from 25 years ago so but I found myself immediately immersed in it and it's kind of like for me I, I, Jason I think your description was was really spot on but a big part of it for me is like I, I tried to get into Minecraft years ago yeah. and it's almost just like a little bit too open-ended and abstract for me. And this is kind of like, this has enough layers of charm and story on top of kind of the Minecraft, you know, gathering and foraging and and crafting sort of gameplay uh, that I was able to, that I'm able to, like, as an adult without an imagination anymore, <laughs> yes. I can enjoy it. <laughs> and I, I, Was there one thing that, that hooked you? Was there like a moment where you realized I'm, I'm in too deep? Uh, you know what, honestly... It, it was as I was like hooked from the opening cinematic oh my because God. the uh-huh. first it's like your grandpa and I can't tell oh, if I want to talk. I can't wait to talk about this. It's, yes. it's so like it's 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 like very beautiful. It's like kind of moving. I can't tell if your grandpa is dying or he's yeah. just he's just resting, but he's lying in his bed <laughs> and you have this letter from him and it's just talking about like there will come a time yes. when you are crushed by the burden of everyday Amazing. life. And it's just like, oh, yes. yeah, this is exactly what I can relate to. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, that time has come for all. Of right. Us. Right. <laughs> and you see your your character your player character like working in a cubicle right at, at the joja corporation this t- soulless corporation the joja corporation <laughs> right, right yeah and so if like from that and then he goes to the and and so the, the idea of escaping from that and going to a simpler way of yeah. life and just the idea that i could kind of role play that was i was i was hooked pretty much immediately uh, the thing i love about that opening cinematic is for me uh stardew valley for me is one of the most like trenchant observations about the way modern capitalism and technology destroy people's lives. Right. And the ultimate irony of that is it's created by technology to be played on technological systems. Like it's a critique of technology that could not exist without technology. Yeah. And and also, too, as, as part of it, like you are kind of your player character is kind of engaging in a capitalist enterprise. Yes. Like you like ideally you want to get your farm to a state where right. you're you're ranching so many animals and you're growing so many crops that you're right. just making this obscene profit so you can afford things like, you know, gold clocks or whatever. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you get in the late game. Yeah. All these these needless purchases you can use to decorate your farm. Yeah, and it's kind of a grind in a way that is not unlike some office jobs that you could describe as soulless. I mean, it's maybe more predictable and more rewarding and more fun, but a certain aspect of it is just putting the hours in and doing things, you know, repetitive tasks over and over again. And you can just more clearly see perhaps how you're progressing than you can in real life. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a very fun game to either just sort of like because you don't have to min-max it to be successful, right. but it's also a very fun game to try mm-hmm. and min-max because you can just find out the the highest yield crops right. and find out that like, oh, okay, if I turn them into wine, <laughs> it, it it generates more <laughs> right, revenue right, yeah. than, than turning them into preserves, you know. Um, you, you can find out ways to just sort of make as much money as possible. And there's some there's some fun in that too, but it's by, by no means required. You can still have a lot of success in the game just sort of like, you know, do, doing whatever you want to do and then also just like exploring the social aspect. 
Yeah, the th- mm-hmm. the thing I really think is ingenious about the structure of the game is um, there are things, uh, for instance, the weather system and the and the yes. uh, the television system that uh, break up the monotony of the grind. So, for instance, uh, like you've been farming all day, planting stuff and waiting for stuff to grow, but then all of a sudden it rains this one day, so you really can't be out there. Uh, digging in the ground. So what do you do now? I'm going to go to the mine or I'm going to fish or I'm going right. to do other stuff. I'm going to meet the, the townspeople or I'm going to go to the, uh, the the social center and and figure out the weird things that are going on there. There's just all these, um, the game, there's all these things built into the game uh, that uh, create an incentive for you to explore the wider game in these really like ingenious ways that are really fun. Yeah, the the weather system, I mean, the, when you figure out how to use that to your advantage, yes. it's very satisfying. The idea that, like what you were saying, that there's certain fish you can only catch when it's raining. Right. Um, it's a great time to go to the mines. And also, too, like at some point, you got to upgrade that water can. That's right. <laughs> if you're going to upgrade the water can, do it while it's raining because you're going to be, it's going to be out of your inventory for a couple days. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So the game was recently ported to Switch. And yes. You reacquired it. Was that even a decision for you starting over on? a new system or did you just know that when this came to switch you were eventually going to get it well i'd already done a couple of playthroughs on the pc so like for me like i think that's part of the fun it's one of those games where there's so much fun in just starting it again yeah and just replaying the early game and just reacquainting yourself like oh yeah that's right this is where i meet marnie and this is where you know (laughs) i find the mayor's shorts or whatever like kind of all these early game quests that are fun to replay and and just sort of like these earlier interactions and also just just taking things in a slightly different direction because there are all the different farm types you can do. Um, so like, yeah, I'll do a river farm instead mm. of the uh, the hilltop or whatever I did previously. But uh, yeah, I mean, like for me, I was there was a moment's hesitation where I was like, do I really want to get into this again? Especially like just having finished Zelda, which took me an yeah. insane amount of time. And then knowing that Mario mm-hmm. Odyssey is on the horizon, like do I really want another just insane time sink for the Switch to fill the gap? And, you know, like, I honestly tweeted people out, Should is Stardew Valley Switch enough, like, good enough to rebuy on uh, on that platform? And, like, just, like, just a wall of yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> So I was like, all right, fine, we'll get it. Um, and it's great. I mean, it's, it's, it's a really, I've barely dug into it on the Switch. I put in probably less than two hours of game time, but it, I can tell it's a great platform for it. I, I don't really think there's any drawbacks other than the save game taking a little bit of time. Uh, overnight, you know, like like when a day ends, it feels like it takes a little bit of time to save it up. But other than that, it's like kind of the ideal platform for it. Yeah, right. Were you worried at all about having portable Stardew that you could take with you anywhere? Oh, boy. Was there like an addiction concern here? Right. Um, I see, like, Here's here's how far it goes. Like, I seriously was like, because we're recording and I'm in L.A. And and I, I, I was seriously thinking of instead of driving, like, leaving 45 minutes earlier and taking the train so I could play Stardew Valley on the way here and have more to talk about. Because yeah. it is just like you, you do look for excuses to try and play it when you have yes. it on the go. And, and I think that's kind of the thing about the Switch in general is just that that platform kind of encourages like, oh, if I can take right. public transportation, I can get it in a little extra Zelda here. The, the thing mm-hmm. when I first started playing the game that um, once you figure out how to kind of um, manage the your your level of tiredness with the day system, that's where the addiction really kicked in for me. It was like, oh, I'll just play one more day. Yeah, right. I'll just do one more day. Right. And, you know, like, and then I'll go to the mines. If it's raining, 
Then uh, and then I'll do two more days because then I have to plant my stuff. Right. I have I have the same issue because civilization is the big yes. thing for me. And that's the cliche of, of one more turn. Right. And it is. You're right. It's the same sort of thing. But like a day can take a lot of time. It it's really not like can. a quick thing. Like one additional turn in Civ is maybe another five minutes. And right. then, of course, one turn turns into to 10 turns. But in Stardew Valley, it's like it can be like a half hour commitment playing <laughs> an additional day, especially if you're going to the mines or something. Yeah. And I'll be like, well, you know, I just upgraded my axe and I really right. want to get this. <laughs> I really want to get these like really hard to get stumps out of my farm and now it's like this whole thing and it just keeps going yeah i mean <laughs> the upgraded equipment is is so rewarding too it really is i mean like like getting I, I really like getting new weapons and then just like really being able to do more damage yeah. in the mines or the is it the skull caverns or the skeleton caverns the skull caverns the skull caverns yeah when you get down in, into those depths it, it's also too it's like when you kind of start to figure things out like I like when I figured out that I could just build stairs yes. and desc- descend the skull caverns quickly to get right. to the harder yeah. levels. Yeah. I was like, oh man, I, th- I right. got this great. I'm gonna break rocks all day, yeah. and I'm gonna go buy some more. I'm gonna buy some more rocks <laughs> so I can go over here and, and just sort of like get to the bottom of this dungeon as quickly as possible. Yeah, I don't know whether asking someone about their Stardew farm is akin to asking someone about their fantasy team or to <laughs> mm, describe right. their dreams or or something that is not interesting to anyone else. But to me, I like to know what people did differently or what they are proud of or what the distinctive design elements are. So what is your farm like? And I guess you you have multiple farms and multiple playthroughs now, but the the farm that you think of as your your true home, your your most, I guess, uh, the one that felt most welcoming to you in Stardew, what, mm. what was it like? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I probably, the one I put the most hours into, um, I was really into, I, I just kind of thought of it in terms of like, what would I want to get out of this if I was actually, you know, if I was actually someone with a, with a farm. And so I was like, okay, I like cheese yeah, and I like, al- I like alcohol <laughs> Yes, and you know what? I'm, I got a little bit of sweet tooth. I'll get some, I'll make some jam too. So like, I kind of, I kind of went for a, a bunch of preserves, a bunch of, of, of wine, uh, slash, slash beer as slash ale. And then a, I got a bunch of, um, I just kind of basically made a dairy farm. I, I had some chickens in there too, uh, but you know, like the pigs I owned, I was like, I, I found like the truffles like a little less interesting because I don't mm. feel like there's as much you can do with them. I know you can press them into oil, but yeah. I was just like, uh, you know, I'm not a truffle guy. <laughs> um, it, it is kind of there is an interesting element that you can't slaughter your animals, which I kind of like. That. I like it too. Yeah, and it, it Eric has talked about this in the in the sense that uh, you know he's just like. He's just philosophically against it. You this know, is this is concerned ape. It's right, exactly. Just just in the way you know they have this little smile, this beatific smile. Your cows, mm-hmm. and you can go and you can pet them, and the little heart <laughs> right. icon appears. And then he just felt like, you know, you should let's just live together with them rather than kill them for meat. It would be so dark. I don't think so I could dark. Bring myself to do it. Like I already am morally conflicted. This this new playthrough on the Switch. I'm like. I think I'm going to do the Joja playthrough. I think I'm going to no. try. I, I think I'm going to buy the, the card. And I feel so morally conflicted about that. But if you add it on top of this, that I have to like this duck that I learned to love and like pet every day and a little heart appears above his head. And at some point I've got to like decapitate him and sell his meat. I would I would not be able to bring myself to do it. Let's talk a bit. Talk about uh, Joja Mart versus Community Center yeah. and what that means for the game. I mean, it's a huge branching point, and huge. I, I think early on, you maybe don't really know the consequences of buying yeah. the Joja Mart uh, is the ID or whatever. It's kind of like a Costco card that you're right. getting there for for five thousand Gs, and the the idea. I, I think it's gold, right? Is yeah, that what it's the, gold. Yeah, the unit currency is. Um, so 
you don't really understand what that affects, but if you do do it, if you do opt for the Jojo Mart, they like close the community center and then build right. a Jojo warehouse. And it's like, it's very grim for the residents the of Pelican is, Town. The metaphor is right in your face. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like a corporatism versus a, a community center. Right. Yeah. And, and it's really, so I'm, I'm thinking about doing that just because I'm like, oh, I want to see what this is like, but I feel very bad about it because the, the community center arc is very, very rewarding. It's extremely rewarding. And, and it's, you get like, you get it, it, things that help you in gameplay as you start to yeah. improve the community center. But then also like everyone is happier and just sort of Much like you get the sense of community. And then when you eventually resolve it, it feels like, oh, I've given this town a little bit of its identity back. Right. Um, and so like to the idea of just like bulldozing that. <laughs> <laughs> and like putting up essentially a Home Depot in right, its yes. place is like so, so hard for me to fathom. You recently tweeted at Donald Trump about Stardew Valley. Mm -hmm. He has not yet responded. From what <laughs> yeah. seen, He's got a. He was, yeah, he was congratulating himself about helping Puerto Rico. And yeah, he's you been really been helping. asked him. How many hours he has personally spent handling that, and you bet him that you have spent more total hours on Stardew Valley than he has helped Puerto Rico. It's not a not a very high bar, maybe, but <laughs> how many hours do you think you have put into your combined playthroughs on multiple systems of Stardew Valley? I mean, I stand by that. I think you could probably see it in my, my Steam profile. I don't know. Is that public? I don't know if the number of hours you put into it is, is public on Steam, but um, I, I put in over 100 hours on, on the PC. And then I'm just mm -hmm. uh, dipping my toe in the water in uh, the the switch the switch version, but I mean, like, I think I'm gonna get in the the 150 to 200 range at some point if I do another full playthrough. It takes a while to it get does. through everything. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And there's just so much to do, and especially if you're exploring all the different friendship paths and trying to, uh, you know, woo various mates that are various potential mm -hmm. bachelors and bachelorettes. I mean, that that that's this whole other. I mean, should we talk about the relationship yeah, let's talk aspect? About it. Let's talk yeah. about that because yeah. it's really a great wrinkle in the game. Who did you guys end up wooing? <laughs> I don't remember <laughs> names now. Uh, no, you know what's interesting about the game is there's no, there's no, uh, there's, there's. You can really be polyamorous in this right. game. You really can, yeah. With with no <laughs> negative aspects to it. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's mm -hmm. very progressive in that route in that way. I, I found myself like just 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 for me. I I immediately was. So there's Alex, who's the 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 sports guy. Sure. He's kind of like Tom Brady with Naruto hair. He's just like a total <laughs> total hunk. And then there's uh there's like Haley, and she's like the classic oh, like, like yeah blonde babe. Yeah. Um, and so like like immediately I was like okay these two are out of my league. Like right. just like just projecting <laughs> myself on the game. It. Yeah. yeah. I can't I can't get the hunk. I can't get the babe. Um, but I sort of like it. I did part, try to pursue them a little bit just to try to because you're trying to make friends with everybody. Sure. The moment where I really lost it with Haley was it was her birthday, and I was like I was doing a lot of fishing. I right. was like I got a great gift for Haley. She's gonna love this. And I had a gold eel that I had, <laughs> a gold star eel that I'd caught. Yeah. I'd be like, she's going to flip when she sees this eel. And I handed it to her. She hated it so much. Like It was just oh, like, just ruined her day. And I was like, oh, man, this is, uh, I'm not going to get out of this crater. This, this is, this is done. Um, but I ended up, by my, the, the playthrough where I got married, uh, I ended up play, I ended up going for Leah. And I very quickly figured out Leah is, she's the artist. Um, and she kind of lives by herself mm -hmm. and she's weird because her favorite thing is salad. 
So if you favorite thing in the world, favorite thing in the world is salad. So if you give her salads, if you give her two salads a week, she just eventually falls in love with you. I mean, like for me, someone who's struggled with interpersonal relationships, <laughs> yes. it's kind of nice to have that like yeah. love reduced to math. God, that I, like yes. if I just give these people enough presents, eventually they will be my my spouse. If only life was like this. Right. Yeah. <laughs> mm. um, but yeah. The, and uh, it, it is like. It is fun that you can kind of pursue these different relationships. And even if you don't end up falling in love with somebody, because right. there are a bunch of unmarriable characters yes. that you can just like befriend them to a point and you kind of get these these little cut scenes, these little vignettes that are very, very rewarding as well. Hmm. So the game has been out for what, about a year and a half now yeah. since its original release. And I don't know at what point you got it, but has your enthusiasm, has your attachment to the game waxed and waned over that time? Have you gone through periods where you were playing all the time and then not playing or has it been a pretty steady sort of attachment to it throughout that period for me it's been you know it's sort of like binges and then i walk away mm. from it for a bit i mean i was like i yeah. was like obsessed with it super super obsessive with it until basically i got my hands on a switch and got breath of the wild and then oh, i was yeah. like that i just sort of transferred onto breath of the wild all the hours i was putting into stardew valley and played that pretty obsessively until i until i finished it and then after that i i moved on to another game but i think now i'm probably going to return to stardew valley at least for a little bit at least until super mario odyssey takes over my life but i don't know how long that's going to be but yeah I, I think like for me i get into sort of very obsessive binges yeah. with an individual game and then i can kind of walk away from it as long as i have something else to transfer it onto even if that's not a game itself even if it's like a tv show mm. Yeah. Is there anything you could compare that to? Not necessarily a game that is similar to Stardew, but a game you've had a, a similar experience with in the past where you played it this amount right. of time over over that long a period? I mean, I've, I've already I already mentioned it earlier, but the Civilization series for me is mm. just a classic, mm. like a new Civ comes out. I play it, play the hell out of it. And then I reach a point where I'm like, OK, this needs a patch before right. it gets it yeah, or an expansion. And then when that expansion comes out, I play the hell out of it. Go away from it for a little bit. I, I think I think it's a great Stardew Valley is a great game to just sort of fill uh, fill the gaps because mm. it is so replayable. And so, like, if there is kind of that that period in the the release calendar where there's nothing new that's coming out that interests you, I feel like that's a, the kind of game that you can return to and just sort of obsess over for a little bit. What's the yeah. longest game of Civ that you've that you've ever had running? Oh man, Lo you mean like in terms of over the course of years? I or? Mean years and and real time. Oh man, I mean. I'm not sure if I can specifically recall one that's that's just been sort of because uh, I, I I usually don't play on like the epic you know turn right, when you've yeah. got like the when things are really really spaced out. But I mean I've spent a I've spent a lot of I've played all the way from you know beginning till far future till what eventually you just kind of run out of turns and it's right. kind of a time victory. Uh, but yeah, I don't have one immediately come to mind like that. You know, like you read like this thing of like I remember there's there was like a Kotaku or something like some guy like found his dad's Civ saves <laughs> right and yes his, and his dad had spent like ten thousand hours on yeah. like Civilization three or something like that and it's just like this is so so crazy how how obsessed some people get with just one individual game but no I've never quite had something. Uh, just that focused. Uh, well, so you mentioned that, you know, this is a game that you can min-max, but you don't necessarily have to. Right. And Kirk Hamilton wrote something for Kotaku recently about how in Stardew, ignorance can be bliss. And yes, you can look up tips and you can maximize your returns, but maybe it's more fun if you don't, if this is just the one area of your life that you don't try to optimize and it's just for fun. So have you found yourself gravitating more toward one or the other? Do you actually look up things, try to maximize your, your profits, or do you just kind of wing it? I try not to look it up too much, but I mean, there are times when I'm sort of like just curious about an aspect of the mm -hmm. gameplay that's maybe not evident. Uh, so, you know, like for, for instance, this was one thing. 
I was just trying to figure out how to get married. And like, there's kind of like this this weird like mystical element to marriage where you have to like find the ghost of an old fisherman or something yes. like that. <laughs> and then he has yeah, to like this game is incredible, yeah. guys. Yeah, <laughs> he has to like give you is it a mermaid pendant something yes. like that? He gives mer- you yes. some sort of token that you have to have. It's not just like I was like, oh, I think I'll I'll probably craft a ring or something right. from something I find in the mine. But no, it, it isn't that. And it's the kind of thing where it's just sort of like. It's maybe not easy to discover that on your own, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, things like that I've looked up. I've also, too, like, as I as I was playing it more, I was like, what are the most profitable crops just sort of for curiosity's mm-hmm. sake? And you sort of see that, like, oh, okay, that there are people who have broken it down uh, in terms of, of what you should do each season. But I'm not someone who's who's going to be like, oh, I'm just going to try to get a bunch of ancient fruit, and I'm just going to be the guy who just right. does ancient fruit because that's the <laughs> highest profit margin or whatever. For me, yeah. that's a little less interesting. Sabermetric approach. Right. The, the inefficiencies exploit all the advantages. Right, yeah. exactly. I mean, I, I think there is, there's so much charm in the game, so why rob yourself uh, the joy of having a sheep or something, you know, just because it's, its wool is perhaps less profitable than growing a bunch of pumpkins? I, I found mm-hmm. that... Um, you know, I, I, I explored a min-max approach, yeah. a maximalist approach for a while. I looked, I watched one of the videos. It just seems so soulless. And the other thing is, that I think is great about the game, is it's not, you don't have to get that far into it before you're like, ah, I, I don't care about money anymore. Right. I'm good. Yeah. Like, you know, the there's the medium level crops are pretty profitable. Uh, you don't have to cra- upgrade your crafting stuff that much to really be making money. And if you're doing all the other stuff, going to the mines, talking to the townspeople, reading the bulletin board, you can be OK. There's a lot of stuff to do. Right. Yeah. You, there's there's enough content yeah. where you don't have to worry about. Just have it. I mean, like a lot of it, a lot of the things that you can get with having an, an insane amount of money is just yeah. like aesthetic upgrades. Right, it's totally. just like things that look cool. Right. And, and what you were mentioning about the tools, it's like there reaches a point where I feel like you're uh, like, oh, this hoe is good enough. I don't <laughs> right, need yeah, to upgrade it, my hoe yes. further. <laughs> yeah. The copper hoe is fine. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's. I think I actually like the iridium hoe or something like that. It actually, for me, it made things more complicated because it, it hoes additional plots. <laughs> yeah, and so like sometimes right, you want to yeah, right. do that nine by nine grid and it's exactly. going further than that. And I'm like, oh, no, don't dig up my blueberries over there. Right. It's going to screw me up. Mm. Have you found yourself becoming a Stardew evangelist? Like, are you going out and recommending this game to people? Because it is a game that I think can be a gateway to video games for, for people sure. who don't yeah. have the experience. So are you using this? Are you trying to lure people into a life of gaming by dangling Stardew in front of them? I mean, look, no one should really be lured into a life of gaming. <laughs> this is, exactly. We, we know what we're in now. I yeah. mean, it, perhaps some of us should be escaping from it. But uh, yes. I, I do feel like, it. yeah, you're right. It is, it is something of a of a gateway drug, if you will, into game into gaming. The idea that you can, uh, that it's such an easy thing to, it's very accessible. It's very easy to play. It's so charming, which is just a thing, I think, for a lot of people of just like, I mean, I'm including myself, like just having something that's just so, such a fun sort of world um, and that that is just so visually pleasing in, in this retro pixel art way, and then just is also kind of kind of filled with such so much wholesomeness. Uh, is I, I think is something that appeals to people. So yeah, I, I evangelize for it a bit. I definitely will recommend it if people are asking like what's something they should play if they haven't been into gaming for a while. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, and it also too, it like kind of. I'd assume it runs on everything, right? I assume I mean, it's an extremely yeah. low uh, low power game, right? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it's available on on pretty much any platform you have. So you know, why not give it a shot? 
Well, yeah. So when the end comes, presumably at some point you will stop playing Stardew. Mm. Do you have any estimate for when that might be and what might finally drive you away from the game? Like, do you feel like there are still things that you haven't seen that you want to re-experience? Are you getting to the point where you feel like you've seen everything and done everything? No, not at all. I mean, there's so much game. There's just so yeah, much yeah, to there's it. So much game. I, I like. There's just like I. I. I mean, I. I think just. There's not really going it, to, it's just one of those things where you're never really going to finish it. You just kind of abandon it, right? Like the, the idea of actually seeing everything I feel like is so, it, just it, an impossibility um, unless you just make it your goal to, to absolutely see everything. So uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I'll ever, I don't know what point I'm going to be like, oh, this is good enough. I think just probably it'll be some other game will just sort of come into my life and and overtake it um, as, as kind of been the pattern. But, you know, I've also been returning to it, so I don't know. I don't have a good answer for you, Ben. I apologize. <laughs> I'll, pro- I'll play it. For, I'll play it till I die. How about that? Yeah. Oh, okay. The, 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 the grave will take me away from dark Stardew Valley. The sweet kiss of death will, yeah. <laughs> will release us from having to play Stardew Valley. Well, Nick Weiger, thanks a lot for joining us. Nick oh, Weiger is a writer for Comedy Bang Bang and At Midnight, and he's the co-host of the Doughboys podcast with Mike Mitchell. Uh, Nick, thanks a lot, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thank you. Love you, Linus. All right, so I will be right back with Martin Emborg of Ultra Ultra to talk about Echo after a brief word from our sponsors. Everyone knows that Redbox is all about renting movies and video games for cheap. I don't even have to tell you this, but I'm telling you anyway, because you might not know that Redbox also sells used games starting as low as $4.99. So for the price of one of those extra large caramel frap, double espresso, no foam, two pump, drinkity drinks you love, could start the most legendary game night tradition ever, playing your hearts out all the way up to bedtime, perhaps beyond bedtime. For way less than you pay in store, you can keep your kids quietly entertained all month long so you can practice that extremely complex and extremely painful yoga pose, get it down to perfection so you can impress your entire class with your superhuman flexibility. That's right, buying games for Redbox is a way cheaper option, and this time you keep them forever. Right now, Doom, Dark Souls 3, and Madden NFL 17 are all for sale. So head over to the box and do game night on the cheap with Redbox, the smarter way to watch and play. For those of you not already playing, we'd like to introduce the official mobile game of AMC's The Walking Dead, The Walking Dead No Man's Land from game developer Next Games. The Walking Dead No Man's Land is a turn-based action strategy game where you battle hordes of walkers with all your favorite heroes, including Daryl, Rick, and Michonne. By building your camp and enlisting more survivors and heroes to join you, slowly but surely, you'll become a force to be reckoned with. There's tons of playable content that lets you relive the highlights of Season 7 and throwback moments from earlier seasons of the TV show, as well as a new hardcore survival game mode for experienced players called... The distance. Watch out for new content for the upcoming season eight premiering at the end of October. Can you survive and stay human? Download The Walking Dead No Man's Land for free from the App Store or Google Play. Or go to getnomansland.com slash Rick now and get naked for free. This special offer is only available right now, so don't wait. That's getnomansland.com slash Rick. They learn from me. They do what I do. The palace watches everything you do in the light. But in the darkness, as it reboots, it is blind. And you are free to act without consequence. The 
only way the Echoes never change is that they'll always want to kill you. But you decide which tools they have at their disposal. Always stay a step ahead of the Echoes. And keep a cool head if you want to survive the palace. Alright, so I am joined now by Martin Emborg. He is the game director and art director. He wears many hats on Echo, which is the debut game by the studio Ultra Ultra. Hello, Martin. How are you? I am doing very well. Thank you for having me. Yes, thanks for coming on. So please tell me a, a little bit about the genesis of Echo and, and how you decided that this would be the studio's first game where they're other considerations and, and other titles that people wanted to make and you had a, a process to decide that this would be the one? Did, did it start out more or less how it ended up or, or what changes did it go through as you developed it? <laughs> yeah, I, I think Echo actually was the thing that made us able to start the company. So uh, Echo kind of existed as an idea and it was it was that idea that we approached uh, the different um, to be members of the team. And uh, I think it was the strength of the idea that gave everyone the, the courage to um, join, like skip their uh, <laughs> regular jobs and uh, take a chance mm -hmm. on it. So it, it was this idea of, uh, gee, why, why haven't anyone done this, this game before? And so it was the company starter, so to speak. Uh, concerning what kind, it started out very vague. It started out like... Uh, it was basically the idea of having a game that kind of faces you with what you do. Like you play against your choices, you play against uh, the way that you play the game. Mm -hmm. And we were kind of looking at at uh, titles that we knew about, and it just seemed like such a novel idea and such an idea that uh, it we, we thought that it would have been made, but we couldn't find anything that 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 used it in the way that we were planning to. And then uh, the game changed quite a lot, of course, as you start working on it and you go into, you take it from like uh, this uh, very uh, um, ethereal idea and you, you make it tangible through prototypes and so on. It, 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 of course, goes through many iterations that makes it into the, the game that it ended up being. Yeah. So when you were sort of surveying the industry initially to see whether that game already existed, a game that adapted to your playstyle or mirrored your playstyle, were there any games that came close or had some element of that that you said, okay, this is kind of what we wanted to do, or this is part of the way to what we wanted to do, but it's not quite there? Were, were there any games that you took inspiration from like that? There, well, the, actually, there's many games that has done that has done it a little bit, but it it has been like in a boss fight, or it has been in a in a, it, yeah. it hasn't been like this intr instrumental kind of key uh, core of a game. So uh, looking around at the games, the, 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 there were some examples, but nothing where we would say, yeah, we want to do this, but just different. We actually, I think, uh, pr had a pretty clean slate uh, when we started. Mm -hmm. And. You and, and a lot of the team had formerly worked on the Hitman series, and that is, a, of course, a, a well-regarded series. But was there a certain freedom to being able to start from scratch here with an original game where you're not bound by the characters and the conventions of a, a long-running series? Or did that make it more difficult in that you essentially have a, a blank slate and there's not that sort of built-in sales base, but also built-in conventions of a series that you can rely on. Yeah, no, it was, it was uh, I will say, absolute creative bliss 
to <laughs> to be free to do whatever you wanted. Uh, I had been personally for, for my part. I had been I was there for around ten years, yeah. and um, ever since I began, I I was pitching games to the uh, to to the guys at IO like, hey, we should do something like this. <laughs> what do you think about this? Right. Um, so so uh, while I I have a lot of love for uh, the Hitman series and and even the the Ken Lynch series that I also worked on. Um, it felt like it was, you know, when when, when I I did two games for uh, on Kane Lynch and I did two games on Hitman and you you get to a point where you kind of tried it. <laughs> you see, it's uh, he's still he's still bald and he's still angry and I mean, <laughs> I'm 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 still very very proud of uh, of, of uh, uh, especially the the new Hitman here, the episodic Hitman. I thought was very very cool yes. and I think. Uh, when it came out, I, I was only there for the first half of production. When it came out, I was just blown away by uh, they, they they really uh, made a super great game out of that. So very proud of it. But uh, when you've been inside something for that long, stepping outside and kind of having nobody to 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 you don't have to to uh, convince anyone uh, apart, of course, from from your team, like you're, you're doing the thing that you believe in is completely different exercise than than doing a hitman game. Right. And of course, in, the, in, 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 in many aspects, it's it's also like it's, it's more difficult because you can do whatever you want. Nobody's expecting anything from you. Um, but I, I would say, uh, by and large, a great, great creative freedom. I mean, it's uh, it was wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I was wondering about that because I was wondering, you know, when you strike off on your own and you start your own studio and really there's no safety net, I guess. So can you describe the the genesis of the studio and, you know, leaving the, the Hitman series and, and how that came about and kind of how the emotions went for, for you and your team at the time? Was there fear? Was there excitement? Was there a mix of the two? <laughs> definitely a mix i mean it's uh it's a leap of faith and i mean you you switch your you 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 uh it's a trade-off right because when you work in a at a bigger studio you have weekends and you have evenings <laughs> where, where you can do whatever you want and and, and uh, that pretty much goes out the window as soon as you start something like this mm. so everything becomes about that and it's uh it's a lot more work and it becomes a lot more Kind of, I will say it's it's there's a more of a survival component there because suddenly you're like, as you say, it's you, you can fail now. It can go really badly. Right. <laughs> so so of course there's a there's a big element of risk. But again, I will say this: it was almost, and I don't mean this in a negative way at all. But it's like uh, there's kind of a weight lift of, lifted off of you because now you can you can act and you can kind of. Uh, we had had a lot of uh, me and especially the um, the level designer on the game who who, who also worked at, at IO for many many years. We had had over those years many many lunch lunchtime discussions about many different games. Like, hey, we should wouldn't it be cool if if there was a game that did, did this, or wouldn't it be cool if there was a game that did this? And so, just many many of those conversations. Suddenly, we had this almost like backlog of mm. conversation that we could kind of. Um, put into effect and say, "Hey, do you remember <laughs> this thing we talked about?" And and then we're lo- very lucky to get so, some very skilled programmers on the on the team as well. So suddenly we were in this uh, very kind of carefree prototyping phase where uh, we had an idea, and then we'd go back to our desks and we'd 
we then pretty soon be able to to check it out and play it and be like, oh, that's yeah. really cool, or that really didn't work, and you know, so it was very um, agile. Being such a small team is is there's a lot of agility there. Uh, there's of course uh, drawbacks as well. Uh, being a small team, you can't do. Uh, there's many things you can't do simply because of of being so few people. But one thing you can really do is that you can connect within the team and do something that's very personal. I will say, uh, and and you can and you can do it quite quickly and kind of see did, was this cool? Did this work? And we we were able to go through pretty quickly a lot of prototypes. Mm-hmm. And was Echo one of the ideas that you had talked about years earlier, or even? pitched at, at io or was this something that came about nope. after yeah no we hadn't pitched this uh, i i hadn't talked to anyone at, at io about this because uh i think usually our conversations were more along the line of bigger games so to speak like uh-huh. it, it would be like wouldn't it be cool you know uh red dead in this universe or you know something like that mm-hmm. so uh we did this uh, echo was definitely a a game that was scaled a bit to be made by a smaller company as well so mm-hmm. it wouldn't be like a huge um a um sized thing mm-hmm. uh but but where exactly it came from i it it was kind of an old idea of um crystal who is the writer on on the game of the producer she had uh given me a short story at one point by a an argentinian writer called uh Jorge Louis Borges, uh, which is called the Library of Babel, which is about this um, infinite library containing uh, uh, like it, every permutation of a book uh, uh, in existence. Mm. And I just remember reading that. It's just it's a short, but it really blew my mind. And I think that's what stayed with us and kind of spawned some of those conversations that would turn into the palace in Echo. Uh-huh. And I think that's where it came from. It didn't actually... I. I, as far as I can remember, the idea of you being faced with your own choices and being up against yourself quite literally wasn't actually introduced into the idea until uh, after the, the idea had actually arisen. And so did the fact that you knew you wanted to make a game with this adaptive AI that was going to require technological innovation did that shape who ended up being in the company or how you went about recruiting? Essentially, were you targeting people who had specific skills that that you thought would lend themselves to making a, a game like this? I think, I, no, I don't think so. I think it was more because we, we, we knew most of the people that are in the, in the company today. Mm-hmm. So it was more about having... Uh, a great uh, atmosphere of the studio, having having a, a team where where you had good communication and you and and, and that where we knew we would have a good time because I think that's so important. But and and I also think that this idea of having something that was very technologically uh, and 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 code wise very difficult. Actually, I think I think we went in quite na- naively. <laughs> actually, mm-hmm. so. We started the, the the game, and I remember having a very early conversation with Macy, our level designer, where we said, "Man, th- this sounds really cool, but if if we can't pull this off, because this was at a point where we 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 were only very few people, uh, we didn't have a coder yet. That's very very early. Yeah. Uh, you know, if we can't pull it off, we'll just make it like a cool zombie game or something. <laughs> you know, yeah. it was kind of like, uh, of course, I mean that that doesn't make much sense to me now, but <laughs> I I remember that conversation very clearly. 
Mm -hmm. And so what was the key to getting that right to having the game learn from the player? I I guess, you know, on a on a layman's level, if you can explain it in a way that would make sense to someone who's not a, a coder. I mean, what what does the game do differently in that sense than the AI in a, a typical game or even a, a typical stealth action game? Yeah, but I am a layman, so it's, it's perfect. <laughs> yes, I mean, okay. we, it's the, the, the coders, we, we'd have conversations about what, what we wanted uh, the, the AI, AI to do. And, and so they would uh, go into their uh, cave and do stuff mm-hmm. and come out of the cave again and, and stuff would happen. And, and it's, uh, to, to me, still today, magic. Um, but I would say uh, comparing it to to the Hitman AI, for instance, yeah. uh, the, the the Hitman game very much functions like there's uh, the levels and the AI AI in those levels are like these huge clockworks where you have to kind of uh, scope it out, figure out okay, so that guy does that, these guy guys patrols over here, the mob boss he needs his uh, pasta or whatever, <laughs> and you know the the cook will will go and deliver that, and this guy's over here. So that's a clockwork that you that you kind of have to to learn and then use, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, in in Echo, you are the clockwork. So you, the way that you play, kind of makes that clockwork. Mm-hmm. So it's a much more. It's in that way. It's very different, and and also means that that these things change all the time as you're playing. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much what you need to to um, to use is that to know that whatever you do is going to change how the level and the clockwork in that level functions Mm -hmm. at any time. And were there earlier incarnations of the game where you just didn't quite feel right? Maybe it mimicked you and mirrored you so closely that it was too frustrating or or maybe it just fell short of what you were hoping to accomplish initially? Yes, absolutely. Because very early in the process, the idea was to have something that was much more much more machine learning like so they would do exactly the thing that you would do mm-hmm. and they would kind of just um very uh invisibly learn these things and unlearn them and they would it would be a a, a much more uh analog thing but what happened we did that mm-hmm. and what happened was that you were playing a game that was certainly very very interesting i mean it was definitely interesting and super spooky but the thing was it wasn't very fun it was not actually it it was not a fun game mm. The thing is, if you if if you messed up and you had to shoot, for instance, and they would learn how to shoot, you would have to live with that mistake for so long that actually people playing the game gave up on using the learning and unlearning of the uh, of the AI and pretty much just played it as as a as a normal game and not really. Um, uh, utilizing the key aspect of the game. Mm. So what we found out was that we needed this uh, AI to be much more dynamic. We needed it to pick up the stuff you were doing and also forget the stuff you stopped doing much quicker. Because uh-huh. then then people started to be able to play with it and we started to be able to make uh, levels where this learning and unlearning became a very uh, central thing that you could use. So uh, we, may, we, we could now make levels where, where you actually had to teach the AI to help you do things and stuff like that, which wouldn't be something that you could do with mm-hmm. the other system. So uh, a, a lot of the, the comments, and especially at the beginning when we announced the game, was that people were saying, oh, this is great. Now it's, this is the machine yeah. learning game. But, uh, but, and, and, and then to, to some extent, people were, were disappointed when it wasn't mm-hmm. that game. But uh, the, the whole point of that was is we, we wanted to make a game that was super fun to play and that would challenge you. And what this other thing did uh, was actually more of a 
a weird kind of experience that you would be, oh, that's <laughs> weird. Did I do that? And 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 that's it. It, it didn't really have that core mm-hmm. game loop right. accessible. So uh, yeah, but actually, we we ended up putting in the game when you f- when you finish the game, you unlock a mode that we call legacy mode because it's actually ah. a bit of this thing I just described. So in the in the game we have these uh, blackout cycles where they learn and unlearn. So you know that when there's been a blackout, they're going to do the things that you did before the blackout. You also know that the things they that that they've forgotten the stuff that you did before that blackout. So it's in these circles that they only mm-hmm. remember one cycle. But so what we did for this legacy mode is we made a legacy. Yeah, we made a mode where they uh, remember uh-huh. two of these cycles. And, and where the, the, the learning degrades so that they remember fully what you did in the last round and they, they remember halfway what you did in the round before that. And that, that actually changes the dynamic of, of the levels and the way that the game plays completely. So it's an inter- interesting mode to try out when, yeah. when you've gone through, through the game once. So when you were building and, and testing Echo, I'm sure you were playing through it constantly and, and maybe trying out different play styles to just see how it felt. Did you feel like there was, I don't want to say a right way to play Echo, but a, a most satisfying way to play, whether we're talking more stealthy or or more action-oriented? Is there a way that you personally prefer or find most rewarding? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm not very disciplined. It's uh, <laughs> I, I tend to pretty much just go with the game and then kind of react. So uh, actually... It, we have the, the, the different uh, people in the office, they actually play very differently. So we have so, some that play like super gung-ho and they have no patience at uh-huh. all. And then you, we have some that just scope out and sneak around and see everything and they do this and they're going to go there. So I need to do this in order to make them do that and all that stuff. Uh, and then we have some that they're like, I'm only going to do stuff when the light is out because when you do stuff during these blackouts, they won't learn anything. So st- stuff you do there is free. They play very tactically. And I myself, I play quite uh, reactively. So um, I, I just pretty much go for the objective and then see what happens. Mm-hmm. Uh and and I, I think all of those work, um, but it's it's definitely if if you're able to mix up the way that you approach the game, that actually makes it uh, that that's a good tactic because then you have the 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 enemies are always a step behind, right? So it, it's about remembering what you did and then then behaving differently. Actually, that's a, that's a good uh, tactic. But people who play in in these various uh, very extreme ways, they also have a lot of fun. But it does get harder mm-hmm. if you do that. And it's hard to forecast maybe, but do you expect this to be a system that other developers will encounter and say, oh, this is this is new, this is different, this is something that we should try? I mean, maybe it won't work for every game. Not every game is, is built this way in a, in a way to take advantage of a system like this, but do you expect it to be influential? Do you expect the tech that you helped pioneer here to sort of spread and, and show up in, in other games, at least conceptually, whether it's your own games in the future, maybe a, a different sort of game, or other companies that have played your game and and found something in it that uh, maybe they will want to port into their own effort. I mean, that that would be cool. But it would be super neat to see what other people would mm-hmm. do with this, because uh, because you could do uh, you could do many different games like this. And I, I remember having a conversation about that where. Man, they, they, this game could have been many different types of games, and because because from the outset, the 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 core of the idea could turn into so many different types yeah. of experiences. So I think it would be super cool to see other people uh, uh, try their hand 
at at this um and, and certainly i'm sure it's going to show up in in some way uh shape or form in in some of our future games actually one of the the things that i would that, that that I was saying that I was like this this could show up in other games. That was actually the radar that we did because we have this um, we have this radar surrounding the character, which is like a, um, a sphere, and it shows these readings on the surface of the sphere, so you can always see where mm-hmm. the enemies are. And it's it's a thing that you get very very used to playing uh, with. And 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 actually, I've I've kind of caught myself when playing other games. I'm like, oh man, I I can't see where anyone is. Um, so I, I just remember, remember saying at some point that I wouldn't be surprised if that showed up somewhere else. Mm-hmm. That's one of the, that, that, that's one of the things that I find, uh, that, 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 that I think works very well in the game. Yeah. Cause there are these sort of shocking moments where it just behaves in a way you're not used to having games behave where you're used to, you know, learning the patterns and, and the AI, some AIs are smarter than others, but you can always kind of learn the routines and, and you're always you feel like you're smarter than than the computer in most cases. And there are times in Echo where suddenly it will use something against you that you were using and, and it just won't work anymore. Your tactics won't work and you'll feel like the computer is a, a match for you or you're even outsmarted somehow. So there are those jarring moments, I think, where it, it just behaves differently from, from the typical game. Even something like Hitman, you know, where you're kind of learning the routine of everyone on this level and here's where they'll be and here's what they'll be doing and here's how I can kind of finesse my way past them. And and that sort of learning, incremental learning doesn't always work in Echo because it will hit you no, with no. something that you're not expecting. Yeah, and, and and also every time it does that, you're like, man, I I should have remembered that. Right? Yeah. It's always your fault if they do it. So. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I, I've been talking mostly about this mechanic at the core of the game, but I did want to ask you about the story and the atmosphere and the decision to start the game with really maybe an hour or so of just sort of exposition and introduction to this world. The the meat of the gameplay maybe doesn't get started for a while. And I think that it sets the scene very nicely, but I guess there's a risk to not just throwing players right into the thick of the action from the start. So can you talk a little bit about the design of the planet and the palace and then also that decision to start the game in a sort of a, a slower way and, and ramp up to the heat of the action? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, so I, I think in a game where it's a, it's a narrative game about a main character that 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 must face herself right in order to to achieve something that's very very important to her. Mm-hmm. So it it was just super important to have a character so that when when that happens to the character that you as a player that that you're completely aware of who she is like that that you're intimately involved with this character. So that that was very important. We we of course discussed it a whole lot at the studio like. Is is this too long? Is it? Uh, it's it's will 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 this alienate players? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, for my part, um, I think I really enjoy being able to be in a universe before I'm attacked by uh-huh. stuff. Yeah. I, I think that too many. I think too many games they rush you into the core loop like immediately, and you don't really get, especially in 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 a, in a universe uh, in a scenario like an Echo where you get to enter this uh, almost like treasure trove, like like this uh, abandoned palace in space. It's like you, I I wanted people to to have the time that they need to fully kind of immerse themselves in that yeah. universe. And I also think that that actually uh, amplifies the experience of what happens mm-hmm. later. 
Um, but but another thing that I really enjoy is that I really enjoyed some of these, um, uh, yeah, walking. They they were called walking simulators. I think it's a little <laughs> yes, derivative, but yeah. but it's yeah. But I I really enjoyed those, and I I enjoyed this kind of eerie atmosphere that they would provide, and and I really like being able to, uh, you know, uh, uh, turn off the uh, the lights and really sit there and 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 uh, immerse myself in something like this. Uh, yeah, but I. I felt like they never really kind of arrived at a game, so to speak. Um, mm. So it was you would you would play these these walking simulators, and then to some extent that was it. Uh, you just tried it; it's over now. Uh, it, it never t- mm-hmm. turned into a game where, where where you would be able to be good at it, or or there was any kind of um, uh, meat to it. So that that's that's also another thing. It, so in a sense, I think Echo was was kind of. Having a bit of that uh, narrative, explorative, uh, very um, involving experience that then evolves in 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 this case quite literally into mm-hmm. in into a game with a core loop that you can get good at and that you you need to to really uh, attack right. So mm-hmm. that that's the thinking behind that. And and of course now that we've had a lot of feedback we've talked to a lot of people it is something that divides people some people really enjoy the beginning and ha- and having all that time uh, you can also see it on reviews some people put it in a in a positive and some people put it in the negative um, <laughs> yeah. but it, but it's it 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 felt like a worthwhile thing to do um, and and when you've played the game when you've been through it once and you want to play it on a harder difficulty and you want to or you want to just go back and play certain parts we give you the the or uh, the the choice to start from when the 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 action so to speak starts so you mm. don't have to play the narrative beginning again cuz cuz uh you've been through that unless you you want to of course mhm and since you're both the game director and the art director and you're involved both with this ai mechanic and also with the look of the game and the level design and the environments is there a way in which those things work in concert. I mean, how did you decide, yes, it's going to be this kind of creepy planet and this empty palace within the planet? Was that the best kind of architecture to take advantage of the AI system? Or was it just something that you thought looked good and and had kind of a, a creepy and engaging atmosphere? <laughs> yeah. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I, the palace was, was actually the, the genesis of the idea. So Whatever happened in this game would be happening inside a planet-sized palace. We uh-huh. knew that, uh, but we we were able to build uh, whatever we needed uh, within this aesthetic. So whenever we needed uh, a, a certain piece or a certain scenario, we could we could very much do that. And and in the block up phase, we would just very freely block stuff up. And uh, so actually, there, there there was not a lot of uh, of um, it, it it turned into be a quite a malleable environment to to build levels in um because mm-hmm. usually you know in a game it's it's uh a, as an environment artist i've certainly been there <laughs> yeah. you you arrive at at the level designers uh block up and it's just like what what are all these things are they crates is this crates <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. is this what we're doing so so uh of course there was challenges to sometimes we we'd need something where we'd go what what would this be in a, in a palace right we mm-hmm. we need we we need the, the the this this uh let's say rhythm in the in the volumes or something and but i think for the most part we we came up with something where it where it made sense to us yeah 
Mm-hmm. Well, I think you, you did a good job of finding a balance between kind of unnerving and, and creepy, but not so scary that I can't play it because I get scared playing genuinely scary, you know, horror survival games. And I was, uh, yeah, I was, you know, somewhat uh, unnerved by, by Echo, but I think not so much that I, I couldn't keep going that I didn't want to see what was next. And the story, you know, coming from Hitman, which, as you mentioned, Great games, great series, but story, not really their strength. So uh, to have that plot element of this one and and a sci-fi element was intriguing to me. And so lastly, I suppose, how did you end up with Rose Leslie voicing the protagonist? Was that something where you all thought, if we can get her, that would be great? Was she the person you had in mind from the beginning? Or did that come about as you were searching for an actress? We, yeah, we we were searching for someone to yeah to to who could be this character because we we had we had a pretty strong idea of N the main character, mm-hmm. and we were kind of listening to a lot of voice actresses and 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 they tend to be almost a little too polished. They mm. tend to sound a little too perfect. Yeah, um, and I think when we stumbled upon Rose, um, it just sounded real for one thing. And and she sounds she has this uncanny ability. I, I think she she does it in in, in Game of Thrones when she plays uh, Egret, mm-hmm. but also just when when you see her in Luther and other places, she has this uncanny ability to be super vulnerable and super kick ass at the same time. Mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of uh, actresses or actors indeed at all can do that. It's a, it's quite a unique thing, and it was just perfect for the character mm-hmm. so uh we we didn't think that we'd be able to 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 get a hold of her but yeah uh we we somehow managed that so we're <laughs> very happy about that right yeah has she done a, a video game before is that a, nope. a is this that a, is, a tough sell when you have it, <laughs> someone who's it's, you know acted in, on the screen mostly yeah no it's her first game um we sent her the the pitch for the game and some art and uh i I think she liked the the character mm. and, and, and the idea, of course. So, uh, yeah, we, we couldn't be more thrilled about that. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Echo is uh, a lot of fun and, and a true original game, I think we can say. So I, I hope that this leads to good things for the studio. And I'm, I'm glad that your vision kind of came to fruition here because I'm sure that striking out on your own was was somewhat unnerving. So thank you very much for, for creating it and also for joining me to talk about it, Martin. Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure. All right, Jason, I don't know if you know this, but next week will be our one-year anniversary as a podcast. Wow. Yeah, October 28th, 2016. That's when we started. I got you a new episode, I guess. Oh, great. I don't know. I'll I'll work on it. Yeah, but our our very first episode, we talked about shooters back then, too. We talked about Titanfall and talked about- could forget. Yeah, no, those were the days. thrilling interview. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So we are uh, happy to still be around, but we'll talk about that more next week. So- Obviously, next week is Mario week. We're hoping to get our hands yeah. on it soon. There's also Assassin's Creed. There's also Wolfenstein sequel coming out. There's just so much to do. So we'll probably talk some Mario. And then I'm hoping next week or one of these weeks, we will just sort of 
talk to someone or someones and get a sampler, get a taste of all these games that we haven't had time to play. Maybe make them make a case for why we should devote our valuable and limited holiday season hours to one game or another. So we'll get to all of these games at some point. But it's just it's hard to keep up at this point, and I'm looking forward to the the deluge. So we will be back then. You have been listening to Achievement Oriented, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'll see you next time for our, our big anniversary, Jason. Bye! Video games are super fun, controversial opinion. And super expensive. And once you bust open that plastic, bust it open, you're stuck with them. That's why Redbox lets you try out the hottest new games risk-free. Right now, you can rent The Evil Within 2, Destiny 2, NBA 2K18, co-written by Jason Concepcion, and more. Text ACHIEVEMENT to 727272 for a free one-night game rental. Redbox, the smarter way to watch and play. Offer expires December 31st, 2017, subject to additional terms. Charges apply for additional nights. Payment card required. If you're not in Text Club, Redbox will send you an additional text with an invite to join their recurring alerts. Message and data rates may apply. For terms, visit www.redbox.com slash textclub. And for the privacy policy, visit redbox.com slash privacy. The Walking Dead No Man's Land is the official mobile game of AMC's The Walking Dead. It's a turn-based action strategy game where you battle hordes of walkers with all your favorite TWD heroes, including Daryl, Rick, and Michonne. There's tons to do. And they even added a new hardcore game mode for experienced players called The Distance. Download the free game from the App Store or Google Play or go to getnomansland.com slash rick now and get Negan for free. This special offer is only available right now.